belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for January 30th, 2022 is called A Wee Little Story About a Relational God. The teacher is Laura Holland, and the location is Clapp Auditorium, Mount Sequoia, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Morning. Hi, I'm Laura Holland, a member of the teaching team here at Grace, and I'm so excited that you guys are here. Those that are here with us in person, those watching um, at the streaming, and those listening via the podcast. My basketball career ended around the same time that my vertical growing did. But when I think back to playing, what I remember the most is hearing my dad on the sidelines. And he was cheering and he was giving instructions. And the instructions that I heard most frequently were, be a tree. And so that meant, get your hands up, be as big and uh, take up as much space as you can and box them out. Okay, so both of these were defensive moves that were intended to keep the other team from making their way to their goal. And considering that like these were the only things I really had in my toolbox, I was moderately effective. But the instructions in these cheers also accurately set the stage for the first act of our story today. Zacchaeus is trying his hardest to be a tree, to get as tall as he can, as big as he can, and he ends up in a tree, and the crowd is doing their best to box him out. And we know that these defensive postures aren't relegated to Jericho, though, as we seek to expand the already present spirit of hospitality and welcoming that's in this place, us as a church, and as we begin to practice it in our table groups that are beginning soon, how do we recognize where we're being a tree when we're the ones that are boxing them out? And how instead might it look if we model ourselves after Jesus? So, as we've already said, our scripture passage this morning is the story of Zacchaeus. So for those that grew up in the church or have kids that grew up in the church, you probably learned the story song about Zacchaeus being a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Um, It's short and it's a simple song that seemingly covers the highlights of the story, right? So imagine my surprise the first time that I read this in scripture and came to find that at 10 verses, the story in the Bible is not actually that much longer than the song. And seemingly, if read on the surface level, doesn't seem to tell us that much more either. But we know that if we dig a bit deeper, we can find things. And so that's what we're going to do today. Today, we're going to use our biblical imaginations and we're going to place ourselves into the story and using what we know about society in Jesus' time and what we've learned about hospitality. Consider how this builds on what we've learned about community, belonging, and the table. Luke 19, 1 through 10 is our reading if you want to, to pull it up. But Luke 19, 1 through 10 says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. Now a man named Zacchaeus was there. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. 
He was trying to get a look at Jesus, but being a short man, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore fig tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly because I must stay at your house today. So he came down quickly and welcomed Jesus joyfully. And when the people saw it, they all complained. (sighs) He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, look, Lord, half of my possessions I now give to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone of anything, I'm paying back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So yeah, the song told us all of this, right? No. Just like people's stories, we know that God's grand story always has a bit more. And so if we're going to look a bit deeper, we're going to jump into this story by going through the 10 verses one by one. So in verse one, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. This verse provides framing. What this tells us, especially if we pay attention to the stories around it in the Bible, is that Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem for Passover. And so the fact that we're told that Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through indicates he wasn't planning on staying. This was just a waypoint on a longer journey. Verse two. Now a man named Zacchaeus was there. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Short verse, lots of information. In this time, Israel was under Roman oppression. And one of the impacts of this was that Jewish citizens had to pay taxes to Rome, give to Caesar what Caesar's, right? But it wasn't Roman soldiers or Roman officials that were the ones collecting this. Instead, it was a citizen of Israel, a traitor, who was collaborating with the Roman government to gather them. Not only that, but the tax collectors were often the only ones who actually understood the tax laws and regulations. So it was very easy and very common for them to scam the people that they were taking money from. This practice was so common, in fact, that the Jewish law actually condoned lying to tax collectors. So they were corrupt and they were despised. And we are told Zacchaeus is rich. And in some translations, very rich. This essentially is code for he's super corrupt and he has become wealthy by stealing from everybody in the town. And maybe you've noticed, but tax collector is often synonymous with sinner in the New Testament. And this isn't just a literary device. Tax collectors and their families were seen as unclean. And of note for later in the story, this means that their homes were believed to be unclean. They were seen as defiled. So long story short, Zacchaeus is a corrupt traitor who actively made the lives of those around him harder. But he was trying to get a look at Jesus. But being a short man, he could not see over the crowd. 
All right, so clearly this is where we find out that he's a we man. Um, and we find out that he is actively seeking Jesus. This is probably not a shock to anyone here, but I'm short. I am a short person. I know, I know. And so while we don't know exactly what we meant or short meant when defining Zacchaeus, I am able to bring some of my life's experience into the text here because I regularly live my life with my nose at armpit level from the crowd around me. I know what it is like to be short. But when I'm in a crowd and I am trying to see someone or something, I'm accommodated. Growing up, my sisters and I all got ready for school in the same small bathroom, just a single vanity situation with a, a mirror. My younger sister, Jenny, is over six inches taller than me. And so she would just get ready standing behind me. I did not block her view when we were both in front of the mirror at the same time. I was not a hindrance to her seeing what she needed to see. And I'm typically not a hindrance to others in a crowd for that either. So if we know that Zacchaeus is small, that he is short, and that if this is one of only three descriptors that we are given about him. He is short, he is rich, he's a tax collector. So it's probably safe to assume he's noticeably short. So this isn't just an issue of a guy not being able to jump high enough to see over the crowd or the crowd just not noticing that he's there and trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus. I imagine it's a bit more like this. Have you ever been on the road and you see a sign that you're going to have to merge? You know, it's coming soon and you're getting warnings and everyone's doing what they're supposed to and they're getting over except for one car. And this one car is just kind of a jerk and is speeding past other people and is trying to cut his way to the front, her way to the front. I don't want to, you know, go with stereotypes there. Get its way to the front. And it's glorious because the rest of the drivers all like band together, right? And like keep that car from merging. They are keeping that car in its place very literally. I think this is more a picture of what we are seeing. This crowd is coming together to box Zacchaeus out. Which leads us to verse four. So Zacchaeus ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore fig tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass this way. He knew Jesus was going to pass through town and he knew the road that Jesus would have to take to get to Jerusalem. And so Zacchaeus waited there. But there's something that I wouldn't have noticed without help. In the commentary, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by Kenneth Bailey, which I would highly recommend by the way, this commentary had several paragraphs about how Middle Eastern adults do not run and they definitely do not climb. Culturally, this is not something that's done. And if you remember the story of the prodigal son, the fact that the father ran out to meet the returning son was remarkable because, among other things, that act could have brought shame to the father. The act of running in and of itself was shameful. Yet Zacchaeus was so insistent on seeing Jesus or 
so insistent on getting away from a crowd that hated him. Maybe a combo platter. This is where our biblical imagination allows us to choose our own adventure. He ran. And not just that, he climbed. When was the last time that you saw an adult in a tree? I honestly can't think of a time for myself, but just picture that. That would be noticeable for us even now. And one more little fact here. The inclusion of the sycamore fig tree as the specific tree that Zacchaeus climbed, it's not a random detail. This is another scene-setting fact that helps us get a better picture of what's happening in this story. Because by law, these trees are only allowed to be planted outside of the city gate because of how dense their coverage was. So you can consider it kind of like a building height ordinance assigned like zoning law kind of thing. So because we know that the sycamore fig trees are only allowed outside of the town, we know that Zacchaeus was basically laying in wait to catch a glimpse of Jesus as he was leaving, as he was continuing his journey out of Jericho. So I thought this was worth noting because for me, in my mind's eye, probably due to the song, when I read this story, I just kind of imagine that Zacchaeus ran a little ways, but was still climbing a tree in the middle of the action to see this. But this is reminding us that this is a story on the move. Like there's movement happening throughout this through the town. And um, he left the middle of the action. He wasn't trying to be a distraction to those around him. He left got out of the crowd, but he put himself on the path where he knew he would encounter Jesus. But lucky for him, he was not very good at hiding. Verse 5 and 6 tell us, And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, because I must stay at your house today. So he came down quickly and welcomed Jesus joyfully. Jesus was on his way out of town. He's driven through. He has said his goodbyes. He's pieced out like he's ready to go. He has places to go. But then he spots Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus just hanging out in a tree. And Jesus stops. So using our biblical imagination and what we know about hospitality practices at this time, it was unlikely that Jesus was walking straight through this town just because there wasn't room in the inn. And it's also highly unlikely that he had not been offered places to stay or other acts of hospitality had been, hadn't been offered to him as he was heading through. But to this point, he had said no. He was still moving on his way through Jericho. But then he saw Zacchaeus and he said, I must stay at your house. And have you ever wondered how Jesus knew his name? Maybe it can be explained by Jesus's divinity. Or maybe it's because the crowd that we're about to discover is continuing on this journey through, through the town traveling with Jesus. Notice Zacchaeus too and called it out. And if that's the case, we can really safely assume that Jesus knew exactly who he was talking to and exactly how the crowd felt about him. And I want to note something else here, too. I've mentioned it a few times, 
But where Jesus was headed was to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And Passover is a celebration of freedom from Egyptian oppressors. This was a really big deal, especially in this time when they are once again under oppression, under this Roman government. As a tax collector, Zacchaeus was an active part of oppressing his people in the region. So Jesus delayed his trip to celebrate overcoming oppression, to have dinner with an oppressor, to enter into the unclean home of a sinner and share a meal and be his guest. And Zacchaeus responded with excitement and joy. He sought to see Jesus and Jesus met him. Zacchaeus was hated by everybody, but Jesus bridged the gap and invited himself over to his house. Religious law labeled Zacchaeus unclean and condoned lying to and shunning him. It wasn't just socially acceptable, it was church approved. But Jesus said, you, you are worth slowing down and changing my plans for. Zacchaeus' life changed because Jesus cared more about relationship than he did about being bound to expectation, tradition, or a schedule. And when the people saw it, they all complained. They said, he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Do you see what happened there? By going to Zacchaeus' home, Jesus took the heat. Now, instead of being solely focused on Zacchaeus and keeping him boxed out, the crowd's irritated with Jesus for choosing him over them. Zacchaeus, a notorious sinner who chose his sin. And I think that was worth noting because that's different than some of the situations we've talked about in these past weeks. He chose this. He chose his actions. And not only that, but his chosen sin was the direct cause of financial strain and hardship throughout the community. Most of us wouldn't bat an eye if we were to hear people complain about something like this because we think they were justified. And maybe in some ways that they were. Because we have a tendency to kind of work with an internal calculus, right? When something has happened to someone, when someone is afflicted by something outside of their control, we want to show them grace. And they almost definitely deserve a seat at the table. It wasn't their fault. For us, we know our intentions and we want to be understood and judged by those. And so please show us grace because that's not what we meant. We had, we had good intentions. We meant well. We have earned our place at the table. We know that's not true, but sometimes we can think like that. But when somebody has chosen actions that hurt us and hurt others continually, no, we don't want to show them grace. And they, we don't really want them sitting at the table with us. We don't trust them. We might not feel comfortable. That is the scene that we are seeing. But Jesus responded differently. And in that, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, 
look, Lord, half of my possessions I now give to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone of anything, I'm paying back four times as much. Side note, it makes me laugh every time he says, if I've cheated anyone of anything, like he's not sure that that's what happened. Like he knows exactly what he's done. That if is comical to me, if I've done this. But even with that, even though Zacchaeus is a short little jokester, we found out Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus just called him by his name and said, I'm coming to your house for dinner. And Zacchaeus responded with radical contrition. And this was responded to with Jesus's radical grace and salvation. This is a beautiful picture of belong, become, believe. Kenneth Bailey, the, who wrote the commentary I mentioned earlier, he also wrote, that those originally hearing this story likely would have expected Jesus to respond to Zacchaeus' offer of restitution with something more along the lines of this. Zacchaeus, you're a collaborator. You're an oppressor of those good people. You've drained the economic lifeblood of your people and giving it, given it to the imperialists. You've betrayed your country and your God. This community's hatred of you is fully justified. You must quit your job. You must repent. Journey to Jerusalem for ceremonial purification. Then return to Jericho and apply yourself to keeping the law. If you are willing to do these things, on my next trip to Jericho, I will enter into your newly purified home and I will offer my congratulations. In other words, once you've shown that you can behave, then you're worthy of my time. But again, that's not what happened. Jesus, at social and reputation sullying expense to himself, not only went to Zacchaeus's home, but he called out his Jewish identity. He said, he too is a son of Abraham. In case people had forgot and forgotten and made him an other, he said, no, he is ours. He is one of us. He too is a son. He's a brother of ours. And he proclaimed salvation for him and his house. So the bar has now been set for Zacchaeus to respond to others with this same level of radical, costly to self grace. And that's exactly what he does when he promises to pay back four times what he took from people. Zacchaeus's change of heart through Jesus seeking him out, through Jesus calling him by name and publicly proclaiming that he belonged changed the life of everyone in the region because they were no longer experiencing the financial oppression from a corrupt tax collector. Their financial burden was lifted because rarely does compassion or grace or advocacy for one stop there. We see that it has this ripple effect that positively impacts many Those telling this story saw fit to share very little about Zacchaeus. He was small, he was rich, he was a sinning tax collector. Those in Jericho likely knew very, 
very little about him, too. Even now, when we sing about him, we don't let him change. Have you noticed that? The song ends with Jesus saying, I'm coming to your house today. He's frozen in time as a wee man with an honored guest. There's no mention of his life change. There's no mention of the positive impact that had on his community. And we do this in a lot of other places, too. We learn something. We hear about a mistake or a sin, or we notice a quirk that kind of becomes a defining feature of the person. And it is really, really difficult to see them for or as anyone else. But the day that Jesus came for dinner, Zacchaeus was transformed. He was changed. And we have been transformed. One of the reasons we're focusing on stories about tables in scripture is because we're about to launch our table groups. And this is an opportunity to reconceive what it means to be into community and to come to the table. This story in particular highlights a couple of things that could be applicable to us as we enter into to this time. One, the importance of slowing down so that we can see people. The power of calling someone by name and how that in and of itself can create such a sense of belonging. And belonging begets becoming, which begets believing. But that is a first step that is needed. And this one might not be as obvious, but we also saw that Jesus didn't invite himself to Zacchaeus' home for his sake. So in other words, for Jesus's own sake. And likewise, sometimes we're called into community just as much for the sake of others as we are for ourselves. Mary-Kate Morse, who's now the executive dean at Portland Seminary, defines spiritual formation as our continuing response to the reality of God's grace shaping us into the likeness of Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in the community of faith for the glory of God and the sake of others. Our spiritual formation, our growth happens in community for the glory of God and the sake of others. Jesus's grace for Zacchaeus had a ripple effect benefiting others. So does our spiritual formation. And finally, we're shown that Jesus doesn't shy away from challenging people. Zacchaeus presented a challenge. The crowd turning on him presented a challenge that didn't stop him. A couple of weeks ago, you might remember that we read aloud a, a prayer. And in it, we committed to seeking relationship with people who challenged us. And I was standing up here leading the prayer. And anyone who's been in front of a crowd really in any capacity knows that there's an energy that comes, comes off. There's a vibe that you can, can sense that's palpable. When we got to that line, the energy shifted. And the clarity and the volume of the recitation kind of fell off in a way that was noticeable and was really surprising. So I've been thinking about it since because this is a community of people that loves 
this is a community that welcomes everybody. And so what about that was a stumbling block? So I was talking to Tim about it and um, he was like, well, yeah, but what did you mean by challenging? Like combative? Like Zacchaeus. And sometimes, yes, maybe. But I think when we equate challenging with combative, that does seem like a really big ask. But sometimes challenging is someone who parents differently than, than you do or who interacts with their friends in a different way. Someone who is talking about something that they are committed to that you hear and think, ugh, I think I'm supposed to do that too. Maybe it's just someone that has a really, really strongly held position on something you've never considered. These are all things that can challenge us. So in our teaching team meeting, when we were talking about how to approach that, John succinctly answered this um, by quoting Ted Lasso, who was quoting Walt Whitman. <laughs> Be curious, not judgmental. And so in other words, you don't necessarily have to engage with the content. Engage with the person. Be curious. Just be curious. And if one of the things you're curious about as we are talking about these table groups is what exactly a table group is even like, good news. We're going to try it out today. So in lieu of personal reflection after this, we are going to create makeshift groups and discuss. So I'm going to give three prompts. And for those, you can choose to go through each of them because of the time. That means you'll kind of be running through them quickly. That's great. You can use those as a jumping off point to talk about something else that it brought to mind. Or you can just pick one or two of them to speak about a bit more, more deeply. But after I give them, break into maybe kind of like each section can be a socially distanced um, table group. And um, I'll give us a few minutes and then I'll call us back together so that we can, um, can move into a time of communion together. But okay, here are the prompts. One, what did the Holy Spirit speak to you? Or what's a takeaway from this message? Two, what didn't you like? Or what did you disagree with? Or what was hard to hear? What elicited a negative reaction from you? And three, what are you going to do about it? Hopefully, one of the options for number three is that you're going to join a table group. That'd be awesome. But when we come to the table, it is a reminder that we belong. Jesus, at great expense to himself, ensured that like Zacchaeus, we knew our identity. We knew that we were his, our his. His body was broken and his blood was poured out for us. And we're all invited to the table. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.